Welcome to the Wisdom Rising podcast. I'm your host, Lama Sultrama Alione, and my goal with this podcast is really to open your own wisdom, to have your own wisdom rising, either through the meditations that I lead or introduce you to, or to the people that I interview that bring wisdom with them in their own voice, in their own traditions. So we look forward to raising our wisdom together on the Wisdom Rising podcast. And I'm so happy to share this with you. I thought I would teach a little bit more from the Simday teachings of the early lineage holders of the Simday series of Dzogchen. It was the first series of Dzogchen to be transmitted, and it it means sem is mind and day is series, and it's short for Changchup sem. Changchup sem is usually translated as bodhicitta mind. However, in Dzogchen, Changchup sem really has the meaning of our primordial state, and Nampinova Rinpoche who taught these teachings and uh, spoke a lot about Sunday emphasized that Changshup Sem has a different meaning in Dzogchen than it does in Mahayana. In Mahayana, it's, it's, there's relative and absolute bodhicitta. What we just generated at the beginning of our session is relative bodhicitta. And absolute bodhicitta is the uncontrived, absolute state. However, in Dzogchen, Changchup Sem is our primordial state. And that primordial state is already awake. It's not something that is cultivated or developed. It's more that it is revealed or uncovered. The obscurations to it are removed. A common metaphor for that is the clouds are removed from the front, from covering the sun, and therefore the sun can shine, or it appears to start shining when the clouds are removed, but actually the sun has always been shining. It's just been unable to be perceived because of the clouds. And so that's our true nature. And so this piece that I want to do today is from the son of King Dahantalo, who received the teachings from Manjushri Mitra, who was the main disciple of Garup Dorje. But a lot of these early Samday teachers also lived at the time of Garup Dorje, who was the first human to receive Dzogchen teachings on this earth according to the Buddhist system. The Bun system received them probably before this. Bun is the pre-Buddhist tradition, which has a whole tradition of Dzogchen. So, Garab Dorje was called the Crystal Child. He started teaching when he was eight years old. He debated with the pundits and defeated them at the age of eight. And he received teaching directly from Vajrasattva. 
from the Sambhogakaya. And then he had various students, and King Dahantala was one of them, and then uh, there were several others that were there at the same time, uh, including this, this prince whose name was Tuo Rajahati, or Radzahati. So first there's a teaching of Dahantalo to Tuo Radzita about the five elements, which I've taught before on Lama Live. And so this begins that Dahantalo's son, Tuo Radzahati, realized the meaning the ultimate nature of mind manifests in the five elements. And then uh, what he realized was that bodhicitta mind is the Buddhas of the three times. So remember what I just said about bodhicitta. This is the awake state that is ever-present within us. So let's take a moment and Try to feel that state, that awakeness that is within us. How? How do you do that? With your mind, your, your awareness. Imagine that that awareness, that sort of ordinary awareness that we have that's perceiving the room that you're in, hearing my voice, etc. That awareness turns away from the sense perceptions and turns toward itself, toward its original face. So awareness of awareness. Turn mind to look at itself. One of the ways this is described is seeing your own face. Rangoshe in Tibetan, seeing your own face. When you turn awareness to see awareness, what happens? What is your experience? It's different than mindfulness. Mindfulness is drempa in Tibetan. With drempa, you're using that mind to track the mind. In other words, or to track whatever you're doing. You're cutting carrots in the kitchen. Jempa is the ability to stay present with that very act and be there completely, be there, not be distracted. This practice is what Tara said, the first words, letting go. So you turn, you look, you don't find anything, and you let go into that. No thing, yet there's cognizance, there's awareness. And that no thing is vast. No center, no fringe. Turn awareness to see awareness, and then rest. Rest. Yeah. Becoming aware of bodily sensation and then noticing something below that boundlessness beyond the material world. Yeah. <laughs> Stardust, I like that. Yes, it is Parsnaparamita. It's called the Great Mother. It's called the womb of the Great Mother. 
Jung Chemo Ki Baga. And it's, 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 it has this feminine reference point often. The womb, the great mother, Pragna Paramita. Why? Why feminine? It's, it's so genderless as an experience. It's given that feminine gender because of its potentiality to give birth, give birth to phenomena, appearances. Does anyone feel bliss in your body when you do this? If you do, that's because your true condition is bliss. One of the questions I got was, could you talk a little bit about the cultivation of joy in the path of Buddhism? And I immediately thought about the great joy, Mahasukha. That is the experience, yes. Some people are saying, yes, warmth. And some people, yes, bliss. Uh-huh. Not today, some other days, yeah. Okay, so why do we feel bliss? What is that? It is the lung, the prana, going into the central channel. We have two side channels, Roma and and we have a central channel. It goes through the center of our body. It's, it's not the spine. It's not at the back like the spine is. It's in the center. And when the lung or the prana where the motility factor enters that, there is a natural experience of mahasukha, and bliss without reference point. Not happy because something good happened. You're not happy because you're experiencing some kind of pleasure that's related to something external. It's just, it's in your body, in your subtle body. And it's your true condition. This isn't exactly something that you cultivate because it really occurs when we're not cultivating something, when we're allowing awareness to rest in itself. It's natural, a natural state. I'll go on with this teaching. So he said, bodhicitta mind is the Buddhas of the three times. So there was a Buddha in the past, actually several Buddhas in the past, the present Buddha is considered to be Shakyamuni, the one who lived 500 BC. And then the future Buddha is Maitreya. So this he's saying to Radzahati, he's saying that Bodhicitta, mind, Changchupsem, is the Buddhas of the three times. It is those Buddhas. In other words, in a sense, those Buddhas are nothing other than this. Past Buddhas all come from it. That's what he says next. Past Buddhas all come from it. In other words, they were born out of this experience of their true condition. Let's feel into those past Buddhas for a moment. Dipankara is the name of one of them. How did they become Buddhas? Through the realization of the primordial state and the stabilization of that realization. Yeah. And then the next line is, Buddhas of the present come from it. Let's think about our, our Buddha, this era, Shakyamuni, woke up 
under the Bodhi tree with the goddess of the earth supporting him from below. And the goddess of the trees, the Yakshinis, the Bodhi tree above. And he awakened to his Chanchupsam. When someone wakes up to this, it's like the world changes. The world was changed by the Buddha becoming a Buddha. Think of the impact that that one life had still having, echoing out into the present moment. Then future Buddhas will come from it. The Buddhas in the future will come from this course. What else could they come from? Let's feel those Buddhas for a moment. The future Buddha Maitreya said to sit on a chair, not cross-legged, which is interesting because most of the world is sitting in chairs now. Previously, that wasn't true. So let's feel those future Buddha. What will, what will they awaken to and what will cause them to awaken? Chang chup sam, bodhicitta mind. And then the next line is the realization of the Buddhas of the three times. Realization of the Buddhas of the three times is your own mind. Rang sem yin. Rang is own, your own. Sem is mind. Rang can also mean innate or inherent, the innate mind. So that means that this idea of enlightened mind that we tend to think belongs to someone else or it's someone else's experience, like, like the Buddha. But it's very far from me, my experience. Actually, it's not. It's completely accessible to your own mind. Not that thinking brain mind, that's the the mind that's like one of the five senses, like hearing or tasting, thinking is one of those senses. But what's under that thinking mind? That consciousness. And that consciousness has no edges. It's not that it it ends in your own body or it has a limit of your body, it exists before your body and will continue to e exist after your body. And it's unchanging, unconditioned, unborn, unceasing. Let's take a moment and feel into that own mind, your own awareness, consciousness. Someone's asking what I'm reading from, but I'm actually, the, the, it has been translated as the Supreme Source, but I've actually been doing my own translation of it, looking at it again. And so this is not published yet. So then it says, and then the Prince Tuo Raj, Rajahati perfectly understood the meaning of the primordial state, that would be Chamchupsam, and expressed his realization thus, I am Prince Tuo Rajahati. What's his name? Okay, so this is 
And some of these words for me, just just the words are almost like a trigger for awareness. And one of those for me is rang rig. Rig is rigpa, awareness. And then rang is self or innate or inherent. So rang rig is actually that reflexive action that we just did. And maybe you're still doing it where the mind looks at the mind or awareness of awareness. The, the way that I translate this is self-cognizant. So self-cognizant, unborn, and that word unborn is so profound because if something's not born, it doesn't cease. So that means it's outside of conditioned existence. My body was born. Your body was born. My dog's body was born. The tree in my backyard was born. And so it's conditioned. It's My body is conditioned to die. Like it, it just has its lifespan and then those elements that have been drawn together will fall apart and become a corpse. This is not that. This is not conditioned like that. It's kind of beautiful, isn't it? It's, it's beautiful that there is this. And when we let go of trying to make things permanent that aren't, then we can experience this. But if we're spending all of our time trying to make things permanent that are impermanent, then we miss the opportunity to experience our true nature. So unborn bodhicitta mind realization. So that's the words that he uses. Self-cognizant, rangri keme, unborn, changchupsem, this awake, awakeness of the universe to realize that. It's profound, right? The profound words. Rangrik, unborn, and then changchupsem, know it, to know the unborn, unconditioned, self-cognizing. So that's a unique quality of awareness is that it can be known by itself, and that's right. And then he says, I have become a lineage holder of Samantabhadra Vajrasattva. So what he's referring to is Samantabhadra is the primordial Buddha, usually portrayed as being naked because it's naked awareness and it's really not a Buddha, like a historical Buddha, and not even a Sambhogakaya-level Buddha, which is the pure dimension being. Samantabhadra is more original than that, more original, meaning Samantabhadra is the awake quality of the mind. And so they say, 
Samatabhadri or the female primordial Buddha is this ground of being, Prajnaparamita, Yumchemmo, the great mother, that's Samantabhadri. She's the naked Dharmakaya, meaning formless, female, ground, the ground of being. Samantabhadra, the male, is the quality of awareness that radiates from that ground of being. However, Samantabhadra, because it's Buddhahood, recognizes the ground and recognizes all appearances as inseparable from the ground and therefore returns into union with that ground. And that's why they are depicted in Yabyum, in sexual union, because the moment that Samantabhadri, Samantabhadra, the masculine, recognizes that ground, they're in union, they're inseparable, they're non-dual. So he says, Samantabhadra Vajrasattva. Vajrasattva is in the Sambhogakaya, or the dimension of luminosity, where there's form. This is the, the dimension of, of the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas that we don't see in our dimension, but they're there. It's a pure dimension, an awakened dimension. And it is from that awakened dimension that these teachings came. And the one that brought them to Garup Dorje was Vajrasattva. And so what he's saying here is he's holding that lineage from Samantabhadra to Vajrasattva to Manjushri Mitra through Garup Dorje and his father, King Dahantalo. So he's, he's claiming his heritage as that. That's a pretty good family tree, right? <laughs> and really, that's all of our family tree. You know, we, we think we have these ancestors and so on, and of course we do genetically, but in terms of our true condition, this is our heritage. This, these are our ancestors. So you can claim that. The other beautiful thing about this is that it's unstained. So bodhicitta, changchipsam, cannot be stained. So if you've experienced trauma or abuse, perhaps sexual abuse or something like that, where you end up feeling polluted, you end up feeling dirty, maybe through rape or just other ways that you just feel like you're you're sort of fundamentally stained. You should know that you're not, that your true condition is unstainable, and you can feel that in yourself. You can feel that beautiful, bright, awake, open, unconditioned awareness, and you can claim that as your true nature, and let go of feeling stained or 
in some way not good enough. We're all primordially perfect from the beginning, the beginningless beginning, the unborn. So then what? Then he says, Buddha's three levels without gradual process all at once. So the three levels of the Buddha, past, present, and the future, without gradual process attained. In other words, the three levels of Buddhahood are attained without gradual process. So one thing about these teachings is it's a non-gradual path. It's not like something that happens gradually and over time. Really, it's instantaneous. However, it's hard to stabilize this understanding or this experience. And so although it's instantaneous when we flash on it or have an experience, a nanosecond of awakeness, then we practice to stabilize that. And so he says, my realization is equal to the Buddhas of the three times. So we all have that equal realization. And that doesn't mean that you're inflated and egoically saying, I am enlightened or I am equal to the Buddhas of the three times, so leave me alone. <laughs> no. It's just that recognition and this awakeness is not something foreign. It's not something that belongs to someone else in history or in the future. It's here right now. And even to say that it's here right now is actually not correct because this experience is in deep time and what the Tibetans call the fourth time, the fourth moment. Actually, they have that word, the fourth time. Not past, not present, not future. It's the time out of time, deep time. Because how could something that has no beginning and no end, no edge, no center, be in time, be conditioned by time? Couldn't be. This is your mother. This is your primordial mother. Somebody said, please explain stabilization, Vajrasattva, clinging. I'm not sure what that means. Um, you're clinging to Vajrasattva? <laughs> or, yeah, no. This stabilization means, what I mean by that is that we develop I guess you could say a habit, because a habit is something that we repeatedly do. We, we develop a habit of resting in self-cognizing chum-chup-sem, naked awareness. And what that means is, first we learn how to go there, or rest there, Rest is an important word because it is effortless. This state is effortless, not clinging, opposite of clinging, 
So we find our way there and then rest there. There will be a tendency to leave, to develop thoughts, plans, or even ways to describe it, like, oh, this is like, or, oh, I could say this about it. As soon as you do that, you're not there. And that's why we say it's beyond words, but I'm trying to put words. <laughs> and that's what the teachings do, try to put words to something, to take you to something beyond words. So let's take a moment and just rest in this, feel this, this is our heritage, like, like Tuo Rajahati says, this is, he's, he's owning this lineage, Samantabhadra Vajrasakla, so he's also your lineage. And these are just names, you know, Sanskrit names, or something that's actually an experience. Just rest there. Machopa is another word that's used, unfabricated, uncorrected. Thank you. Arwen said, when you said, fourth time is your mother, the most beautiful sensation of peace flooded my being. You know, when I was a nun and I was living in the Himalayas and above Manali, which is in Himachal Pradesh, the Indian Himalayas, I was reading a book. Somehow I got this book by Ospensky, who was a student of Gurdjieff, you may have heard of. And he was talking about the fourth time. And I was very struck by that. At the time, I was writing a journal and I wrote about it quite a bit because there was something about that notion that took me somewhere, somewhere true. And and then I didn't hear it again. I didn't hear that word for for many, many years. And then recently I've heard it in Dzogchen teaching several times and seen it written. So I don't know if Gurdjieff received these teachings somehow. He was from that area where it could have been present. But in any case, the fourth time is the unconditioned time. And it is our mother because that space, space is another way that it's described, that womb of space is what gives birth to everything. So I'd like to encourage you to rest in this, in your practice. Daily practice is, is very important. I once was, uh, this was a long time ago before I left living in New York State, so that was over 30 years ago. And I was receiving teaching from the son of Dujam Rinpoche, Shempentawa, who's deceased now. And he, I met with him afterwards, and he said to me, without daily practice, you'll never develop any power in your practice. At that time, I had three young children, and I was a single mother. And 
I couldn't imagine how we could do that. <laughs> but I did. I did. I did it. Because I understood it was true what he said. And so, in your daily practice, do this. Someone asked another question was, what is my life now in Encinitas? Encinitas, by the way, is where Yogananda wrote the autobiography of a yogi. You don't know that book, you should know it. It's, it's classic. What did she say exactly? What's a typical day in your life? I, I can describe, I mean, in a way, I don't have any typical days, but how I start the day is I open the door upstairs. There's a balcony. I open that door. I have a chair in front of it, and it's a big door. It's a, you know, it's like a, a sliding glass door. So then I can see the sky, and I do that uh, between five and six in the morning, so that day is just dawning, just becoming light, and so there's this process of it's almost like the world is being born as it comes out of darkness. So I do this kind of practice that time. And then I go into my tantric practice, uh, and I do different practices uh, at different times. Um, lately I've been practicing Machig Lapton's longevity practice, which I will teach in Europe this year and maybe somewhere else in the United States. It was a practice given to me in 2017 in Machik Lapton's cave in Bhutan. I just taught it in Costa Rica for the second time. I do that or the trauma practice from Azamurbuche that we're doing in the Usuni. Once I've done those practices, then I go for a walk with my little dog, Tashi. So pretty early. And then once I come back from that, then usually I just look at email and do a little bit of that. And then I have tried to block about four hours a day for writing, and that doesn't always happen. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, I go to the beach, and I walk on the beach, and then I sit and practice with the sunset. Even if there's no real sunset, if it's cloudy, I still go. Because there's something about the beach and being in that place where that body of water that goes all the way to Japan and Asia hits this land after all that distance. There's something about that, the vastness of the ocean that is a very good trigger for this awareness of awareness and uh, being with the setting sun. So, so, so that's a little idea of what I do. I answered two of the questions that I got. I'll try to do more next time, and we will go on from here. Thank you, everyone, for being with us for this Wisdom Rising podcast. May it benefit all beings. And I'd like to take a moment to thank the production team of Wisdom Rising 
and also to let you know that if you would like further information on my work or the associated people who work with Tara Mandala, you can reach out to the Tara Mandala website, T-A-R-A-M-A-N-D-A-L-A dot O-R-G. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe.